Heavenly Father, as we open your word together this morning, please give us open hearts, open minds to learn and to receive and to be changed. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, we are continuing a study in Romans. And as we begin, I want to share, it's funny, I can read the smaller font with my glasses, but if the font gets too big, then it gets blurry again. I made this too big, I can read it without glasses. Um, I want to share with you some things that you have probably heard before. Um, Maybe not these exact ones, but at some point, especially if you've been listening to sermons for any amount of time, somebody has shared crazy laws that are still on the books in the United States. Um, I want to share a few of them. Um, You can't wash your neighbor's car without permission in Los Angeles, California. So if you have any ideas of being a good neighbor, don't do it. This one's really good, I think. Maybe it should be in all places. It is illegal to drive, while, to drive your car while your dog is tethered to it in Alaska. <laughs> I don't know why it's only Alaska. Um, I, some of these, like, you can actually figure out some of the background. Some of you can read about it. I don't know about this one. It's illegal to run out of gas in Youngstown, Ohio. <laughs> if you run out of gas, you can get a ticket. <laughs> All right, this one is just really bad. I apologize, ladies. In Vermont, women must get written permission from their husbands if they want to get false teeth. (laughs) (laughs) And then I end with this one. Um, In Arizona, and I say this one because I know there's at least a few folks in Trinity that go to Arizona, Um, donkeys are not allowed in bathtubs. So if you're in Arizona, please don't put a donkey in a bathtub. Not allowed. Um, I share all of these weird, crazy laws with you today because we're going to study the law. The law of God. Um, And not that the law of God is quite that weird, although if you go back into the Old Testament and you read through all of the case laws, Um, There are some weird laws back there, Um, things that would not make much sense to us. Um, But the reason we're studying is because of this. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, you have died with Christ and you've been set free. In Romans chapter 8, which Joe and I together are going to spend like five weeks in Romans chapter 8, because it is about life in the Spirit. If you've died with Christ... Where do you go from there? Life in the Spirit. But before he gets there, he takes this little departure about the law. What were we freed from and why? What were we freed from and where are we supposed to go to? Chapter 7 is about the law. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. It's on page 1608 in the Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 7. I'm going to do my best to actually cover almost this entire chapter this morning. 
Uh, it doesn't all need a ton of detail. Some of it is self-explanatory. Um, but it's all about the law, um, which is what we were freed from. So what does he say about the law? Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1, page 1608. It begins with a question, as Paul does often. He did it in chapter 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, and this is the law of God, this is the Ten Commandments, this is the Mosaic Covenants, um, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, um, so I don't have to come up with an analogy here because Paul's going to do it for me. Here's Paul's example. By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress because the law labels her that way. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Okay, so a, a very simple idea. The law only has power over you if you're alive. Or in this case, if your spouse is alive. Because once death comes, no more power. Law's done. Woman is free. Now, he brings that up for two reasons. One, he's just said in chapter 6, we have died with Christ. We are united to him. We died with him. We rose with him to a new life. So something about this applies to us. Here's where it is. Verse 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Again, we were crucified with him. That you might belong to another, to him who, ra who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So our death with Christ and our raising with him, it was for a purpose. At one point, we belonged to the law. Now we can belong to God. We've been set free from that in order to produce fruits. Let me finish this paragraph and we'll talk more about that. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit not in the old way of the code. Right? This is a lot. I mean, basically what all of chapter 8 is going to be about. Right? But here's what he's just said. At one point, before we died with Christ, we were under law. Right? What does it mean to be under law? So if you think about the law of God, most people will probably think of the Ten Commandments, which you should. Um, it's the most famous part. Um, we go back to it over and over again. The Ten Commandments are made up of do's and don'ts. Right? Do honor your mother and father don't steal don't covet what other people have those are the do's and the don'ts when you live under that law it looks something like this how many of you like to make lists especially lists like you're getting ready to go out of town and you need to make sure you don't forget something and so you write stuff down and then as you complete them check 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 and I mean, you can't feel good every time you check it, right? It, just, it feels great. Um, and then hopefully when you leave for your trip, it's all checked off, right? It's the goal. 
Right now imagine we take something like the Ten Commandments and you make your checklist. I'm just going to use one of them. Right? We're going to put there, do not lie. So you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is you talk to your spouse, you talk to your kids, and you don't tell a single lie to them. Check. Got it. But then, as you're standing in the kitchen, you remember you were supposed to do something for a friend, and you didn't do it, and you don't really want to admit to it. So instead, you send the friend a text going, hey, I'm so sorry this happened, and you make up an excuse that isn't real. Anyone ever done that before? Oh, I just lied. All right, so do I, well, I checked it off. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to write on there. Don't lie, but I can't check that one off. So now I've got one that's checked off and one that's not. And it is 7.20 in the morning. I've only been awake for 20 minutes. What happens the rest of my day? I check something off. Oh, I failed that one. I marked this one down. And by the end of the day, I've got this nasty sheet of paper that is like, I've lied four times and I've not lied seven times. Great. Guess what? Tomorrow morning, that list doesn't go away. You just keep adding to it. And we've only looked at one commandment. To live under the law means you are being constantly evaluated by how you relate to the do's and the don'ts. You're being criticized, you're being judged, you're being held up, you're being put down, you're being constantly, and you live in condemnation. Anyone ever struggle with doing the right thing and then fail to do it and feel bad about yourself? That's living under the law. It's having the do's and the don'ts and doing everything I can to do it. And when I fail, I take the criticism and feel judged. And when I make it, I feel really good about myself. Look, I've earned something. I've got some merit here. That's living under the law. And it's a failed experiment that will only bring death. Why? Because I didn't lie. I didn't lie. I lied. I lied again. I didn't lie. I lied. That is life under the law. It cannot produce the life that God wants for his people. So what he said is that's one way of doing it. I have a whole other way. I got a whole different way. I put you over here. So all those laws that I shared at the beginning, they only apply in those states. So like I can stand right on the border of Arizona. I can be like in Nevada and I can put a donkey in my bathtub. And Arizona can do nothing about it. I can be at California. I can put two donkeys in my bathtub. And Arizona can do nothing about it. Because it's where you are and what you're under that matters. And Paul is saying, that's what you were under. You were under law. And the problem is most people are still living there. Most people are still living their lives like that. What are all the good things and bad things I have to do or not do? And all the struggles I have doing them. Because within me, I'm always going to fail at some point. And I just feel bad and feel good and feel bad and feel good. And I feel condemned and I feel good. And he says, no, no, no. You've been released from that a whole new way. Right? You can't do it under the law. Now, does that mean that the law is bad? That's where Paul goes next. I look back at the text. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. 
For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So the first thing he wants to say is, don't think the law is bad. And he'll end this paragraph by calling it holy. The law helps us understand, ultimately, hear this, the character of God. Commandments are not just isolated dictates. They're not like, here's things that God is like, eh, why don't you guys do this? They are a representation of who he is, of what he values. And that is good and holy. We wouldn't even know those things without God sharing that with us. However, something happened. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. It did something like this. When you walk up to a sign that says, wet paint, don't touch, what do you want to do? Put my hand right there. Cement still drawing. Oh, maybe I can put my footprint in there and leave it there for all posterity. Like, sin seizes the opportunity of the commandment to actually make us want to do the opposite. Okay, keep going. We'll say more about that in a second. Um, For apart from the law, sin is dead. It has no power. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. I'm going to describe in an analogy what that means in a second, but I want to finish what he says about the law here. So then, the law, it is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. That's what it is. So he repeats himself, did that which good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Here is what happened. I'm going to paint you a picture. Um, I stole this picture from N.T. Wright. I did not come up with it. I wish I could have because it's a great illustration. Um, But it will describe what's happening here. Imagine you are going to get an alarm system installed in your home because you want extra protection for your house. You want to scare people from even trying to break in. And if they do break in, this alarm goes off, the cops are called, all these things. You want to protect your home. However, the people can only install the alarm during a week when you happen to be on vacation. So you have a really good friend down the street, a neighbor, good neighbor, and they say, hey, I will come let them in and I can show them around. I know your house. I've been in there numerous times. You're like, great. So the neighbor comes over, he lets them in, they install the alarm, everything is great. Until one night... Something happens. You wake up the next morning and you have been robbed. And the alarm never went off. Nothing happened. And you discover later, it was your neighbor who robbed you. Because the neighbor knew exactly what was going on with the alarm. He knew where all of the codes, he knew the codes, he knew where the sections you could not walk because it would set it off. He knew all of the things. And he used that knowledge to rob you. Is your alarm bad? No. No. Who's bad? Your neighbor. (laughs) That's what Paul is saying about sin. Sin is good. Sorry. (laughs) What church are we in? (laughs) Mia, let me back up a little bit. I didn't say that. (laughs) Rewind. (laughs) 
erase that part. Um, the law is good. It is holy. It was meant to bring life. In fact, if we lived out the law as God intended, we would know life. We would know the character of God. We would treat everyone as the way God wanted us to treat people. Um, it'd be everything God intended. But sin came in and twisted that and used it so that instead of the law saying, go do this and you'll have life, it was twisted so that, ooh, I want to do the opposite of that. And now I know death. I know darkness. I know all of the twisted pain and shame and all of the stuff that comes with disobeying and trying to live under the law. Right? The law is good. Sin twisted it to make it bad. Right? Now, I would imagine what Paul is about to describe is probably what every one of us have experienced. He's going to describe why we had to have another path. Why we can't keep living under the law. We got to move into living into life in the spirit. Go to verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Hey, the whole reason that you and I sometimes have that struggle where you know, we, we treated this friend of ours really poorly and afterwards we feel terrible. We're like, oh, that was the worst thing. Why did I do that? Why did I yell at my spouse? Why did I lose it with my kids? Why did I tell my boss that lie and try to manipulate the situation to get out of things why? I wanted to do the good, but I ended up not doing it. I ended up doing the bad. Because that's what life under the law is like. Right? It doesn't mean we never do good. It means we often don't do the good we want to. It means we walk through life going, I am going to be really nice to Jody. And I do. I'm really nice to Jody. And then I want to be really nice to Dana, but he ticked me off and I just can't. <laughs> But there's no excuse for my actions. I still did not treat him as an image bearer of God, as a brother in Christ. See, that's what happens when we try to live under the law. We want to do this good, but we keep failing to do it. Keep going. Um, for I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, please don't hear an excuse there. Paul is not saying, well, you know what? I wanted to do good, but instead I was evil to Dana. Well, that was just sin in me. I have no culpability for that. Um, that's not his point. He's simply describing a reality. I am still culpable for what I did, but sin was part of the equation that moved me in that direction to do that. And I will never get away from that outside of Christ. It will always be the reality of my life as long as I live under the law. Now, if I, uh, sorry, I just read that. Um, verse 21. 
So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Have you ever had a moment where you were listening to the word being preached? You were hearing somebody talk about God and his character and and the beauty of all of it. And you were like, that is amazing. That is what I want. Like, that that is wonderful. That is what Paul feels. Like, it's right there. I delight in this. And yet, the opposite side is true. I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul knows the experience. He knows the struggle of wanting to do the right thing, except he has learned there is a way to live differently. There is a way that my life is not a constant struggle under the law of condemnation and merit and and judgment and, and me doing the right thing and not doing the right thing. And there's a different way of life, right? But two things have to be true. Here's the first. Um, I was shopping with all three of my boys, 12, 10, and 4. And we are shopping, and we're at the checkout. We're doing the self-checkout. And it's a long thing where you can bag everything and like leave the bags there so they stay on the weighted thing, and they haven't taken some off, and it yells at you for like trying to steal things. So we've got all the bags laid out there. And I said, all right, boys, while I pay, I need you to move the bags to the cart. So they start doing that. And at some point, I hear behind me, uh, no, no, no. And I'm like, oh, I turn around. My four-year-old is bringing one of our bags to someone else's cart and trying to put it in there. <laughs> He's getting into a cart, just not our cart. Um, I'm like, stop, stop, stop. No, buddy, buddy, our cart. That's not our cart. If you go in that cart, it's going somewhere else, totally different place, somebody else's home. It's a totally different life. Right? This is the cart you need to put things in. All right? Number one, decide which part of life, what cart you want to be in. Do you want to live under the law and continue that struggle? Or do you want to live under Christ? Live by the Spirit. If you want to live by the Spirit for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about it. But you got to want it. Because we will gravitate back to the flesh. We will gravitate back to the law. We will gravitate back to those things that are the easiest for us to do, no matter how painful they are. So that's number one. Number two, and this is what I will leave you with. If you want this, life in the Spirit is different than trying to live under the law. And I want to give you a glimpse, okay? We have an early service, 8 a.m. service. It is super traditional. At least it's traditional as I'm capable of doing Um, which is decently traditional, but, you know, there's more I can do. Um, And part of that tradition is a lot of these, thous, and things like that, right? A lot of language. Um, I'm getting used to the language. In fact, I'm getting so used to the language that today when we finished one portion, and as we do in this service, and I tell everybody, please be seated for the reading of God's word, at the first service, I almost said this, please be seated for the reading of the word. <laughs> Seedeth. 
Cedith is not a word. Um, not in the traditional service, not in anyone's service. Cedith. Um, but here's why I almost said it. It is becoming so familiar and so much a part of how I'm doing that service that it was natural. Like it just it carried over. I didn't have to work. I didn't like, Cedith. Um, it, was a mo- it was a natural way of living out of what the service is. That is a picture of living by the Spirit. It is not something that you're going to like grunt your way through. It's not something that you're going to checklist your way through. It is something that is going to happen as we surrender to the work of the Spirit in our lives. I will not leave it that generic, I promise. In the next two weeks, as Joe preaches, he's going to detail exactly how you're going to do this. You'll have no more questions, and we will have super Christians by the time Joe is done. No pressure. (laughs) And then I'll spend three weeks with nothing really to say. So, you know, we'll see. We're going to talk about living by the Spirit. Join us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the law that is good and holy, that helps us understand more about you and your character and what righteousness and life is all about. But Lord, I pray each one of us would see the ways we are still trying to live under the law and we would surrender to the way of Christ as we understand better over the coming weeks how to live by the Spirit. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.